Welcome to Going Off the Record. I'm Colin Williams, and this is where I talk with the executives, entrepreneurs, athletes, and changemakers working to make this world a little bit better every day. You'll hear their true stories, their failures, their successes, and most importantly, you'll learn what makes them tick. So let's get going off the record. Hey, everybody. We're back here for another episode of Going Off the Record. I'm Colin, as you well know. I'm here with a wonderful woman that I grew up with, Jessica Fairchild. She is one of the founding partners of Croak Fairchild, Morgan and Barris. She said, I did pronounce that right, so I didn't want to piss anybody off. But Jessica has done amazing things. She's a lawyer like me. She made that mistake. But she has been very, very successful in everything that she's done. And she's got an interesting story. And I've known Jessica for a very long time. So I'm really excited to have her on. Uh, and we're going to learn a hell of a lot more about her during this hour. So Jessica, thanks for being on. Colin, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. All right. Well, I know where you're from. I know your parents. I knew all, all of that good stuff, but nobody here does. So tell everybody where you're from, where we're from, and uh, just a little bit about, you know, growing up and your family and, uh, you know, my buddy Jason and all that good stuff. Yeah, of course. You do know where I'm from because we hail from probably some of the same roots in the northern suburbs of Chicago where I grew up and you grew up in Lake Forest. Believe it or not, I live back there today. It's where you're talking to me from today, although that that's a long story. It was never planned that way. <laughs> you uh, returned. That's right. I returned, although I, you know, I never had a plan to, but that's how life works. So today, you know, my story was growing up here. As you mentioned, I had one sibling. My brother and I both grew up here. I can talk about it, but I went to college not far away and law school not far away. And then, you know, lived in Chicago for a long time and now living back in Lake Forest. But I grew up here, you know, small family, you know, great community, kind of a great place to grow up as a young kid, made a lot of very good friends. And, you know, you're in that mix. And, and you know, my family had a lot of great friends as well. So somehow one thing led to another and I find myself kind of back here again, but it's a uh, it was a, a great place to kind of start my life. And I uh, obviously good enough to kind of raise my family here again. That's good stuff. So we need to get a little bit into, I always dive into athletics, right? That's a huge part. And for those of you who don't know, Jessica will get into it, but she was a tennis player, a really, really good tennis player. So tell us about sort of the athletic evolution in high school and how'd you get into tennis and, and all that good stuff? Good question. And I think back that sports were a very large part of my life and my family's life. So I look back to what we did as a family. I, my brother was an athlete. I was from a young age, a tennis and soccer player. And I think about a lot of our family time was going to sporting events, you know, watching football games on Sundays, you know, watching tennis, watching other baseball games. Uh, I think it was because my brother was athletic and I was too, that just a lot of our family life revolved around that. And somewhere along the way, and I'm not sure when it happened, but, you know, I kind of fell into tennis being my primary focus or primary sport. And, you know, there were goods and bads from that, right? I, I played year round. I was managed to sneak in some soccer and some other sports as well. But tennis sort of became the focus for me. And, you know, some way, one way or another, I was able to kind of parlay that into going to college on a scholarship where I went to the U of I here in Illinois played on the varsity women's tennis team. And when I was young, I never had those dreams. I didn't really know what was going to become of it. But as I got better and, and more time was spent, you know, it became a reality that maybe I could go to play on a, a scholarship in Division One. And tennis has always been a big part of my life. I probably 
don't get enough time to do that today, but it was, uh, it was great. And I went all the way through college playing for four years, you know, as a, you know, big 10 athlete, which was super exciting and, you know, something that I look back on as a lot of work, but also very fondly as just a big part of my, you know, whole life growing up. So did your parents, I mean, I'm, I'm always curious about it because my parents never pushed me into athletics. It was just something that kind of happened probably because of my friend group, right? But did your parents push you into the sport or was this like something that you guys, I mean, I, we could go into I, Jason, but we won't go into Jason. <laughs> we won't go into Jason. Let's Jason, who by his own right was a great athlete in football and baseball and some other sports, but we, we don't want to focus on him here, of course. No, but no, we're not talking about Jason. Sorry, Jason. <laughs> but I think, you know, for tennis, no, I think I fell into it. I had a coach when I was young who said, hey, I just watched her to my parents. Your daughter just played in this little, you know, class. She was really good. She has aptitude. You should encourage her. And I was maybe six at the time. Wow. And so I think then my parents were like, huh, okay, let's see where this could go. You know, I'm too young to make a lot of decisions, yes or no. So they pushed me to kind of try some tournaments. And, you know, as I, as I got older, as the, you know, to be good really takes effort. It takes focus. And I certainly had a push from at least my mom um, to focus more, you know, to do some of the, you know, off-court work and gentle other work. training. Gentle yes, work. Gentle yeah. work. Sometimes, sometimes more than gentle. But I, you know, I look back at that and I really think, you know, she just wanted, you know, as moms do, you want the best for your kids. You want to see them excel and thrive. And I think it really came from a good place. You know, it did sometimes cause a little bit of tension, you know, where I didn't appreciate that. And I'm mindful of that with my own kids today. But it really became just such a big part of my life that it was just part of who I was, right? Playing tennis five days a week. You know, I didn't move to Florida to play. I wasn't at that level, but playing five, six days a week and kind of focusing on improving, it just became like part of my life. I didn't, not that I didn't know any better. It was I liked it. I was I was excelled and I wanted to see if I could get better. So it's probably a mix of that, you know, altogether, my own drive and then, you know, some kind of gentle nudging from parents. Yeah, but you didn't have the militant like Todd Marinovich, like <laughs> No, but there those certainly were there t- those tennis parents out there, right? I mean, that's notorious sport for, you know, the evil tennis parent and they existed. I saw them, right? And in some ways I just think a lot of times if you're traveling with a parent, not a coach, you know, there's those natural areas where you're going to clash because your parents want you. I remember we used to fight over how much I would warm up. Would I warm up? And I didn't want to warm up. And my mom would tell me I needed to warm up. And then she was right though. I would get a slow start. You know, I'd be down 3-0 before my body got going. So all in all, I look back and I was like, yeah, she was probably right. But, you know, I was young and I, I had to learn it on my own, you know? So no, I was pretty lucky. And I, you know, my mom's not here today, but I had a great relationship with my mom, you know, as I got older. And, you know, I look back and just say, you know, she just wanted, she wanted a, the best for both my brother and I, you know, and everything that she was kind of striving for, for us. Yeah, I can, your mom was one of my favorite people on this planet. Now, partially, number one, because she was wonderful. She was just a wonderful person. But she also let us party at your house, and I always appreciate uh-huh. it. But she was, I mean, for anybody listening, she was always hyper-responsible about it. It was like, yeah, you guys can drink here, and that's fine, but nobody's going to go fucking crash their car. Like, give me your keys. Like, we're going to do this the right way. You can't do that today, which is too many cell phones. Different yeah. Different, yeah. Totally different yeah. thing. But she was just Again, an awesome person. Thank you. 
she was a great, she really was. She had a really good, especially with my brother, amazing relationship. I think they had a really open, you know, relationship. That's one of the things that I work on now is being open with my kids and we can talk about anything, right? You can tell me anything. I really want to be that person. But yeah, no, it was great. So that was my growing up. And then that took me all the way, you know, through college, going on a scholarship was really something I took a lot of pride in. You know, I, you I would not lie. But <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you. But it's not, it's a job, you know, it's a bit of a job. You are going to school, but you've got a sort of secondary thing that you're responsible for. You know, I think you you played, I did. you know, in yeah. college too, right? Yep. It really becomes, you know, sometimes some days you look at it as like a job. Some days you look at it like a privilege, which it is. It just depends on which which way, which side of the bed you wake up that day. But I had a lot of fun and, and my college teammates were super, were just amazing people to have in my life. I, I keep in touch with several of them and, and my former coach. And it was just a, it was a great experience to represent, you know, my team and my school it was really exciting. I, I would, despite all the hardships and there are some, I would do it again. It was great. Yeah, it's funny. I look back on it because I, I mean, high school was just one of the best times of my life was playing football in high school with your brother and everybody. And we're still all friends. We still still all connected. But there was just a level of fun. And when I got to college, it was a very different thing. Even well, you at least you were getting your school paid for. I wasn't a freaking paying for this opportunity to play football. But it was so different. Right. It was like because you realize your coach's livelihood depends on you being good. So if you're not good, they're just not going to play you because then they'll get fired. And the level of sort of, I don't know the best way to put it, but they're just disinterested, right? It's not about like having fun and the love of the sport. It's about how good can you be? And if you're not good, then I don't give a shit about you. Maybe your coaches were better. <laughs> yeah, I, I I hope a little bit, a little, you know, you also like we had a, what do we have? 10 to 12 people on the team. It's a smaller team. I think it could be a more hands-on learning and teaching. I, you know, it's, yeah, it's a business, right? I mean, for college athletics, not so much in the secondary sports of tennis, but you know, it's a business and you know, that's their job. And yeah, yeah, there were, look, like, like anything, it's interpersonal relationships. So it's, everything's not perfect about it, but I look back really and feel like my coach was, you know, did the best she could with the resources we had, with the team, the people, and, you know, not every day was rosy, but, you know, I, I, I played all four years, you know, I was pretty tired at the end and, and we were, you know, middle of the big 10. So not, not anything to sneeze at, but, you know, now I've got these lifelong friends and kind of shared experiences that I wouldn't, I would not trade, you know, I was really, it was really a great time and it was a good time to just be an athlete. I think it's the pressure is only ratcheted up as we've seen, you know, in the news and, and the various things that we read about, there's just, there's so much pressure and, I, I don't think there was as much then to succeed or to be everything. Um, I think I put enough pressure on myself, but I think then I, it probably was more fun than I think some of today that you see. But I uh, I did have a good experience. So I am really glad that was a part of my life, you know, that I can share, talk about and remember. Yeah, it's funny. We've entered the world of specialization, right? Now, I, I, I always talk about this. I didn't realize Norway has this philosophy. So Norway has the most per capita Olympic medals, I think, of any country. And they have a different philosophy on sports, which is they don't keep score and they don't cut anybody until the age of 16. And what they've found is that their best athletes are late bloomers who in the United States would have quit the sport because they weren't good young. And so people said, well, you're no good, so don't play. So kids fall out of love with it and they don't want to play. And there, everybody stays in it. And then all of a sudden, the 16-year-old who is five foot two becomes six foot eight and, you know, plays volleyball. 
And then they put all the resources in the world behind those people. Those, and they make the decision. So it has to be the kid who says, I want to do this. They're like, great. And they're way more successful. And here it's like, now, when we did stuff, it was way more fun. There's no two ways about it. I watched the hockey. We play, you know, beer league hockey. And I watched the Chicago Mission, who's the AAA team. And what they go through, what these kids go through, like, this isn't fun. Nobody's having fun here. And it's sad to me. It's really sad to me. But I agree to a lot. And we could probably spend hours talking about, you know, the sports here and kids and how the leagues work. And, you know, I, I interestingly enough, I don't have super sporty kids. I have a I have one who is playing travel soccer. My other one's just not interested. And, you know, that's an adjustment for me. I, I told you I grew up with focus on sports, multiple sports, because I played soccer through almost all of high school as well, basketball through eighth grade. And so it was just, that's what I did, right? And my brother, likewise. And so now I've got my son who I love and, you know, he's 11. And, you know, he's kind of saying to me, I'm not interested, right? We, we, but it's, it's, it's part of your socialization. It's part of your, you know, social group. It's, it's how people get to know each other. And so we've encouraged him, you know, but also my hope is, Hey, look, he's got more time. Like yep. you're saying, right. He's only 11 and you know, there may be something, whether it's tennis or something, you know, more obscure, it probably isn't going to be football, but something that he finds, you know, that yeah. would be interesting. Yeah. I just think from a lifelong, you know, being a participant in sports, it's just sort of like a lifelong fun thing to be able to have to do with your friends and family and all that. So I'm still looking to get my doubles team together, right? I'm still working on that and I got a ways to go. But uh, when my kids hear this, I'll remind them that, you know, one day we're going to, we're going to have a doubles team uh, in our family. Well, I hope, I mean, I hope kids like find whatever it is that they want to do, right? If my son wants to do theater or music, I did music too. And if he wants to do those things, great. The one thing that would concern me is kind of what you're talking about, which is I learned so much through sports about like persevering, hard work, teamwork, all these different things. That's the only thing I don't, I don't give a shit if my kid ever plays like college sports or professional sports. I I do not care. I would never push him in that direction. If he chose that direction, great. But the stuff you do learn from it, I would like him to do sports just for that, just the ability to learn teamwork and how to take coaching and all these different things. I think there's just so much value. I agree with hundred percent with you. And like, you know, sports are about learning how to fail and come back from it. And that's sort of life, right? Isn't it? You got to take what comes. There are going to be failures and there are going to be downs and you've got to learn to come back from that. Sports is certainly one because nobody, nobody goes through, you know, a sports career without losing. That's just something you do no matter how good you are, how hard you try. That's just reality. So learning to like deal with that and make that sort of part of your hey, I, I know how to deal with this. You do learn a lot. And, you know, you're absolutely right, though. Whatever my kids do, they're going to be happy with it, uh, whether it's like you said, arts or dancing or pottery and acting, all that. It's all good. But I do think the sports just gave me sort of the, I think it sort of made sense. My competitive fire, which is there and uh, shared by my brother, as you know, um, <laughs> yes. probably, it was probably a, a good outlet for that sort of drive, you know, that we have. When you started looking at colleges and stuff, how did you choose U of I? I mean, I know it's the local school, but you're on scholarship. So, you know, in-state tuition isn't much of an issue there. And what, what was your decision making? It's a good question. And I feel like it's sort of like a mantra for me. It's like, you know, it just felt right to yeah. me. You know, I visited, I visited a few East Coast schools. I also visited Northwestern, a few other local, more local schools. And ultimately, when I did my recruiting visit, I just felt really comfortable. 
And that was really important to me to feel like I was going to be around a group of, you know, women and a coach that, that were a good fit for me. Mm -hmm. And so it just felt easy where when I went, I visited a few other schools, I was not comfortable. I just wasn't comfortable with the team atmosphere and the, and the folks who were going to be my teammates. I just felt just not the personal fit. So ultimately when I came back from that recruiting trip, although, you know, I had hoped to probably go far away for college, you know, all of us like thinking I want to go far. I talked to my kids about go to California, get away away from me. Yeah, exactly. Go. Um, (laughs) I just felt like, you know, it's going to be four years and I really wanted to go someplace where the team was going to be, you know, a group of people I could connect with and was going to be comfortable with. So ultimately that was, that was kind of the focus for me. Obviously they had a good team and, and we, I knew we would be, you know, kind of like competing in the middle and top of the big 10, that was important. And I felt like I could grow as a player there, but I also felt like these were my peeps, you know, like I felt uh, the, and I remember my recruiting trip to this day. So it was really, I think I always say I, I go with my gut on a lot of decisions and that's, this is sort of a, something I do, you know, and, and I'm not unique in it, but it started, that was definitely one of them just felt right. And felt like when I went home, this would be as good. It was going to be a good fit for me. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, the areas of the country literally have their own personalities and maybe this is what you experience. When I went out East, this is not a knock on anybody from out East. Don't come after me because I'm saying this. It's very less personable. The Midwest is incredibly like friendly and welcoming and people say hi on the, they don't know you and you make eye contact and they say hi. The East wasn't like that, right? I struggled my first year. I think Jason did too. We're not talking about Mm -hmm. you, Jason. But (laughs) you go out and and it's just a very different landscape. And um, there's a lot of regionality. People, you know, everybody from Boston knows the towns they're from. And here you come from the Midwest. And they're like, I don't know where the Lake Forest is. Or I know where Chicago is, but whatever. It's in the middle of the country. And it's just, I think it's much less welcoming. It turned out to be a great experience for me. But it was tough at first because you're like, you said your peeps. I did not feel like I was amongst my peeps, but I found my peeps, right? <laughs> but it probably took me longer because I was looking for sort of that warm, welcoming personality. And that just wasn't necessarily how it was. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Maybe maybe so. I mean, my teammates were from around the country, including we had two from Puerto Rico, one from New York, one from Texas, one from the South. I'm just I'm kind of spewing through. And then a couple you know, homegrown uh, Illinois folks like myself. So I was not alone, but, you know, I just felt welcome. And I felt like from day one that I was going to be comfortable there for my four years. So I, I hear what you're saying. And maybe maybe it was just sort of just the right fit for me at the yeah. time. The Midwest? No, the Midwest is super cool. I always say it. So what'd you study? Now we'll, we'll sort of push towards the career in the law, but what'd you study? And did you always know you wanted to go to law school? Was that part of it? Oh, no idea I wanted to go to law school. <laughs> really, and, and this would not be a lie, no idea what I wanted to do, right? I mean, I, I had this great opportunity to go to school, and I chose to go into the business school because it was a good school there, and the engineering school was very good, but I, I didn't see myself there. I just felt like, okay, business, yeah, and I can talk more. My my parents had had businesses growing up and were kind of entrepreneurial, so I kind of, I guess I just had that spirit. So I, I was, I was like, I'm going to go into the business school and I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and I ended up deciding to major in accounting. 
eventually I realized I do not, I did not want to become an accountant. So no offense, no offense to any accountants out there. But I, as as I progressed through that, I thought it was an interesting. It actually gave me great building blocks for you know a legal career and particularly what I do now. But I, I just one day when it became time to think about a CPA exam and all that, I said. I'm not taking that. I I don't want to be I don't want to be accounting an accountant. And so it kind of drew me back to, well, I have to do something, right? When I graduate, what's that going to be? And I sort of I had, I had some extended family who were lawyers, but not not immediate, not my parents, and not anybody close to me, but a couple cousins. And I reached out and said, you know, could you tell me more about your career now? Your post law school? What do you think is positive and negative. Do I want to be a lawyer? You guys tell me. And, and they you know, didn't they say, were, hell no, don't do this. <laughs> no, they didn't. They were very, they were great, very encouraging. And I think both liked the career that they were having, you know, and both, uh, and really liked their, you know, my one cousin who went to Northwestern loved his, his law school experience and just like raved about it. So he was very much like, oh, you should do it. This is what you should do. And, you know, honestly, I, I took a course I think in my senior year, I'm thinking of college or maybe junior year, but it was a business law course that was being taught in undergrad. So it was kind of a you know basic business law. And I just thought it was really fascinating. And I said, I like this and this could be interesting. What if I go to law school? And lo and behold, I you know applied to law school and got in and had to pick one. But it wasn't because I knew from a young age. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I couldn't have told you even then you know, what kind of law I wanted to practice. I just was like, we'll figure it out, right? I've got time. Let's uh, go this path. Now I'm graduating. I need a, I need a path and it doesn't need to be involved accounting. And so um, I felt like that was the right. I, looking back, that was 100% the right decision for me. But I, I do like the base of knowledge that I got in the business school, accounting and some other classes, economic stuff. I just think that was a good base for what I do today, but it would have not been, I don't think it would have fit my personality had I, you know, pursued an accounting career. I think uh, this is this is more apropos to like who I am. Yeah. So you applied to law school. How'd you choose UFC, first of all? Really fucking good school, but beyond that. <laughs> you know, like there's always so many factors, right? I really, to be honest, I really wanted potentially to go to Michigan. Uh, that was another school I'd applied to, Northwestern Michigan. And my now, my now husband, you know, we were together dating and he was going to be in Chicago. So there was a big draw to be in Chicago just to uh, yeah. connect yeah. after having sort of dated a little bit far apart. He was at college elsewhere and we were trying to get back in the same city. Uh, and then when I said I was going to go to Michigan, I didn't get a good reception to that from him. And I, under, I guess he, he said, are you really, are you serious? I'm like, uh, well, it's a good school and I really want to go there. And it didn't go over well. So I had to rethink my plan. And so I was kind of, you know, deciding between luckily really two great schools in Northwestern and University of Chicago. And I got some advice from my parents. Maybe I shouldn't have, but they felt like, you know, uh, hey, why not go to that other school with the higher ranking? And I said, okay. I'll do that. Right. And I actually got into UFC off the waiting list, which, you know, there's no shame in that. It's a great school no, and there's only a spot, but, yeah. but I, I got in. So I said, you know, I'm going to try that. And so I, that was pretty much it. I knew, I knew it was going to be what it was, Colin, which was like three years of a lot of work. That's how I view law school. It was a ton of work. I, again, you know, was able to connect with a lot of great people because you really get you know, people from, as, as you know, any law school, really, but particularly the top law schools, 
all walks of life, all different sort of some coming from college, some coming from other careers, some coming from who knows, just just time off. Everybody from a different sort of background and I, at different ages. You know, I was young for the law school coming right from college. So I had a lot to learn, but, it, you know, it was like it was a different experience, but it definitely it just felt like it was going to push me. And it did. It did for the three years. So that's kind of how I decided you know, was it the right call for me? I, I think so. But I, I think I would be probably where I am today had I gone to Northwestern or gone to Michigan. That's what I chose. And I'm sticking with it. That's where I went. And so, uh, but I have a lot of good colleagues, friends who have graduated from there. So it was a good spot. And I think I learned a lot. And I guess I'd do it again, maybe if, uh, if you ask me, although, you know, I might think a little bit harder about Northwestern. <laughs> it just was three years of a slog. I think you some of the law school's are a little more social. So yeah. that's my story. And all in all, worked out well for me. So now we know the truth. It was Brian. Who- <laughs> <laughs> the unnamed, the unnamed uh, yeah. boyfriend yeah. Time who, who threatened our relationship had I had I gone to Michigan. Um, <laughs> yes, we'll make sure he doesn't listen to this either. But yep, uh, he definitely steered me towards Chicago after having been apart and uh, living sort of separate lives and trying to carry on a relationship that's not easy to do. And he was right, probably. You know, I I, I just really felt like Michigan might be or have been the right fit for me. But nonetheless, I'm st- I still made it, you know, here, Colin. So yeah, I, I did something. <laughs> I hope I did something right. I think it's worked out okay. I mean, yeah, when these are your decisions, Michigan, Northwestern, University of Chicago, yeah, you're playing with house money. Any anyone that you go to is gonna work out a okay. So I think I think it did just fine. So you Thanks. finished law school and then you enter the world of big law? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you did that for some of your career yeah, as well. I you did. So let's I'll talk about big law. <laughs> yeah. How did you decide you wanted to do like corporate work? I mean, we could talk about our experiences in, in that world. And, you know, there's I, I had some good experiences. I had a lot of experiences were very typical of what people talk about with big law. So I'm curious how you chose going into the corporate world or the corporate route, not like litigation or whatever, trust in the states, IP, anything like that. And what was your experience in big law? Wow. So lots to talk about there. The question is, um, how much do we focus on? You know, for me, I was just drawn to corporate and M&A work. I don't know quite why. I never fashioned myself as a litigator. I, I really think that I wasn't confident in my orating skills and, you know, the, the type that kind of gets up and, you know, can be in front of a judge. I guess I was either more shy or um, just didn't feel like that was my skill set. So I, I, I sort of navigated away from, you know, what would be litigation oriented choices and more towards corporate M&A work and transactional work. And so when I and even to courses as I as I went through law school, and where you could define the choices that you made on courses, I was yeah. like, no, way for me, you know, that con law stuff and that great course that, as it turned out, President Obama, you know, not then president, but he was teaching at the law school that I avoided again. Like, those were not for me, although, wow, I, what a chance I missed there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. in my opinion. But feeling like, oh, those are just too amorphous. Those are obtuse. I think I do better with a, a more structured you know, code-based or structured, you know, legal courses. That's how my mind works. I, I just gravitated towards that. And I really told you, I took this college course in business law that I really loved at the time. I found super interesting. So I think that sort of 
put that seed of, you know, business law, kind of corporate law kind of in me. And then, and then I decided to go, you know, I probably didn't do the research maybe some would do today, but I went and I interviewed with, you know, a number of big Chicago law firms that had a, you know, fairly robust corporate M&A, you know, group. And I summered at one and then another, you know, how the drill goes. Yep. And just picked, you know, a firm I'll name, and I'm not going to say anything bad about here on this podcast, but I went to Sidley, which was a big, you know, I don't know, top 10 worldwide firm, great corporate practice headquartered in Chicago. And I just felt like that was going to be a great start for me, you know, not knowing what would happen from there. Just I felt like I was going to learn a lot and just put my head down and work hard and uh, and figure out how to be an M&A lawyer. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, put your head down, work a lot. I know. Yeah, <laughs> my, well, my experience. You asked me more generally. How was my experience? It, it was overall was great, right? I'm I'm not practicing in that same environment today, and I have a story to tell as to why. But you know, I have a lot of friends still there. I have people I call friends, not just colleagues. I learned a ton. Yeah, and it was kind of crashed in in the ten years that I spent there. Uh, which was sort of divided up in a few ways, but I loved it. I mean, honestly, I worked super hard because I think in any firm working sort of an M&A transactional practice, you know, it's a struggle sometimes with the schedule and things pop up and, you know, they're not really, it's not easy to plan. You don't know you have a trial in nine months and everything's leading up to this. My days were, I don't know what's happening today, right? And I don't know what's happening tonight. And I don't know what's happening this week. And you sort of learn to Learn to be nimble, learn to juggle, learn to sometimes have your weekends crashed uh, and your plans trashed. You know, I, I really wanted to learn as much as I could. And, you know, I think, you know, ultimately there were probably not as many women doing that as yeah. men. Um, a lot of our, not as many women in the firm, not as many women as there are today in my group. And so, you know, I was proud to be able to go there and, you know, I was, I was there for a long time and, you know, feel proud about that time and really grateful that I had that experience, even though, you know, I've chosen to, you know, at this point, do something different. So one thing I definitely want to get to, I, first of all, I want to hear the story you you threw it out there and so why you didn't choose to follow that path. But I'm super curious about the Olympic bid. And were you general, was the title general counsel of the Chicago Olympic Committee? How did this whole thing come about? This is incredibly yeah. interesting to me. <laughs> Yeah, well, thank thank you. That was a that's another. You know, I'm super. I always like to talk about this, and those who know me from that time uh, in my career know that that was like a you know something I look back on with a lot of pride and a lot of you know just like awe at some of the things that I got to do. But you know, Sidley, where I was, was asked by Pat Ryan, who was leading sort of the kind of business side of the Chicago Olympic bid. Uh, the effort there to kind of help out on on legal items and legal matters. And that was going to be to prepare for and ultimately bid to host for Chicago to host the 2016 Olympic and Paralympic Games. You know, I sort of fell into it sideways. You know, I had a, a very senior person at the firm come to me who knew I had a sports background that we talked about and knew that I had a love of sort of sports and tennis come to me. And I had been, you know, working four or five years in the group that he was in. And he said, Hey, I, we've got this pro bono project. It's just pro bono. We'll be on the team. And I said, yes, because that I thought, I thought this is gonna be cool, right? This is gonna be yeah. fun. What, what's this all about? The moon. <laughs> who, knew? who knew? Who knew we could host the Olympics? What, wait, what's this all about? But I sort of, so I signed up on a whim, but as it turned out, you know, as we kind of got into working and it was a small group, really, 
you know, leading this effort as we got into working on that, you know, there were more and more issues coming up on the legal side. I was getting more and more phone calls uh, and I'm thinking, holy cow, I thought I signed up for something pro bono here. I've got like a real job. But, you know, one day, you know, I don't know if it was me or one of the folks I was working with, you know, we just kind of said, hey, wouldn't it be kind of fun if I went over there and I just kind of, you know, did this sort of full time, right, for maybe six months or something. There was a about six months out, it was there was going to be a decision and, it, and either Chicago was going to move on or the, the U.S. Olympic Committee was going to select a different city and it'd be over. So I went there thinking this would just maybe be six months. I was sort of on a secondment. That's what they call yeah. it when you're when you're at like a client for a bigger firm. And I thought, OK, this will be six months. Right. Because we may not win move to the next phase. But lo and behold, Chicago advanced. So so the USOC picked Chicago of the, you know, four or three or four U.S. cities. And I remember watching that uh, selection from out of the country. I had a vacation planned and I saw it on TV and I was like, awesome. Right. Really cool. This is exciting. And and so, you know, so that became that at that point, it was like, okay, what's it's a two year process from there to kind of run through the whole remainder of the sort of what we call the international phase. And so I said, you know, it'd be really great if I could stay, you know, so there's a bit of negotiation over that and a little negotiation over what title I would have at that point. And, you know, I, I think it made sense for me to become the general counsel at, you know, formally at that point. And that's what happened, you know, and so we were off to the races on what could be two more years or could have been 10 more years, right? At the time, who knew? But I, I had no background in, you know, the Olympic world. I had no background on Olympic law um, or the IOC or the USOC. I mean, I learned a ton. And so I, you know, overall was probably close to three years before that all wind down, because I think everybody who's going to be listening is going to know Chicago did not win. Yeah. Who are you, Rio? So Rio took the cake and the prize. And I was there the day that happened. And you know, but it was a great, I have great stories. I mean, I met Olympic athletes from all walks of life and all sports, which was as an athlete myself was like a huge, which is a real honor, right? Yeah. You know, just names that, you know, from NBA players to Olympic gymnasts to runners, you know, these names, I could throw them all out, but these names that were iconic because I watched all the Olympic games, right? So for me, just being part of that experience and also getting to represent my hometown in Chicago was a real amazing honor. I have to say, I learned more and more about Chicago and its beginnings and it's how it worked. You know, it was a very much a amazing partnership between sort of the city and then the private sector, you know, and trying to bring this all together. So I had that title. I had uh, three years of of a pretty, you know, really interesting, challenging. It was very fast paced, but really entrepreneurial as well. And I, you know, I just, I, I really, I really liked that experience and I learned a lot and, you know, got to kind of bring back, bring my passions together, I guess. Right. You know, I got to practice law and have a career that I was excited about. And I got to do something in the sports arena, which I thought was really unique as well. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then it all crashed down one day, right? Um, (laughs) Well, I remember watching the, I was at a bar, shocker, but watching the selection and I just remember thinking like, I mean, I know why they chose Rio, but it seemed like a little preordained because what the Olympics had never been down there at some, whatever it was. But I just remember thinking, wow, this is going to be a shit show. Like they cannot be prepared for this. And lo and behold, it appeared yeah. to be a shit show. They were not prepared for it. Yeah. I was just so excited about all the infrastructure I thought it would bring to Chicago. And yeah. Yeah. I, 
you know, obviously I worked hard for three years to try to be part of the team to make that a reality. So I had a, I have a point of view on that. I think it would have been a good idea. I certainly realize not everybody saw it that way, but that's okay. I, you know, not everybody's going to be on board, but it was, you know, I, I remember going to Copenhagen is where all the cities come and make their final presentations. And we have a room full of supporters and, you know, high hopes and, you know, they read the first name off because that's how it works. They, they read the first city to fall out and it's Chicago. And I think stunned silence was a was definitely that room. And no one, you know, winning was was probably unlikely given what you said about Rio. But going out for it was it was was tough. But, you know, that, that just becomes another for me, just another pivot in my career. And, you know, life has gone on and I I still have my, you know, my paraphernalia, my jackets, my, uh, my, you know, various things I gathered during that time. But it was, I think it was a unique time because I don't think, you know, we, we know there, you know, the Olympics are coming back to the U S they'll be in LA in 2028. I think if I yeah. got my year right, yep. so it was going to happen. It was, you know, it just wasn't our time, but the experience. And I think, you know, I think the city learned a lot from that and, you know, in, in any event, you know, elevated the city just sort of a, in terms of its stature, internationally. So I, I, despite the the bad or the, the outcome that was painful, you know, personally and professionally, because I was like, Hey, maybe I have another six years or seven years, but It'd be so um, cool. <laughs> not, so, not so much. <laughs> well, so what happened afterwards? Did you go back to Sydney? I don't know. You went back to Sydney and then, you know, we had to wind up this thing we created. So I ended up being one of the last to stick around to just put Chicago 2016 to bed. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not the only one, but one of the few. And that part of that was to try to figure out, everybody was trying to figure out what's next, right? Everybody, a lot of us had been there for for various reasons. So I did go back to Sidley. You know, I think it was a time for me and them to explore what that relationship would look like or could look like. And I ultimately, I ultimately left. And, you know, so that put me on sort of the Sidley map from 2000 to 2010, which again, I'm really grateful for that time. And, and then I left in 2010 and I, you know, I, I was just telling you that, you know, the Olympic bid was an entrepreneurial, fast growing, kind of never knew what every day was going to look like environment, which I really liked. And I ended up deciding that I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. So I opened my own law firm. And, you know, the truth was I was expecting a child and I, I kind of just wanted time to think about the career, you know, that I wanted to have and where I wanted that to go. And I wasn't overly prepared you know, Colin, some folks probably have a good business plan and they've got uh, they've got all the clients lined up at the door. I was a little more of a risk taker there. I uh, said, you know, I don't need all that. I'm okay. This is going to be okay. This is what I want to do and I want to try it and I want to see what happens. And that sort of was a fateful decision because, you know, I, I guess I wanted to be sort of in charge of my own destiny as yeah. to what that was going to look like rather than I either look at another firm, which wasn't what I wanted to do or, you know, in-house which were, were possibilities. I really just, I just wanted to be in charge. <laughs> so I chose that. And, you know, that, that probably gets into my whole story since that time of, you know, how I've ended up, you know, where, where I am now and being part of this firm, Croak Fairchild, Morgan and Bears. Yeah. It's, if you build it, they will come. You just figured, <laughs> yeah. I mean, which is true to a certain extent. I mean, I guess it's nice if you have like five anchor clients that will pay the bills until it all grows. But I think a lot of really great law firms start out that way. And you just say, fuck it, I'm going to give it a shot, see what happens. And I felt like that was, it was a time I could do that, right? I had proven a lot. I had made a lot of, I had a lot of good contacts. I thought, hey, this might work. It might not, it might not, it might work and it might not, but I, it's a risk I'm going to take and we'll see what happens. And so, you know, 
it's worked out well because it sort of led to where I am now. But, you know, I know there's a lot of people that would not be comfortable, you know, in that sort of th- that position and just saying, yeah, screw yeah. it. I'll go for it. And, uh, you know, it's worked out. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't think lawyers are risk takers by their nature. That's probably a gross understatement. So you started the law firm and let's talk about how it blossomed into Croke Fairchild and how did this whole thing yep. go? And then I'm really yeah. curious to hear about, well, we'll get to that in a second. Let's let's get to how okay. the whole thing became. Yeah. So I did that. And like I said, it was kind of, let's see what happens here. And that was definitely the mold with which I, you know, kind of went into it. And again, I was a transactional corporate lawyer. So despite having done three years of sports and Olympics, I had something to fall back on, which is, you know, buying and selling companies and, and doing some other corporate work. But, and so I, I just kind of said, all right, hanging my shingle, let's see who calls and what kind of work I can get. But, you know, over the years, you know, one, it was somewhat flexible because I ran it and it allowed me to have two kids. And, you know, I'd been waiting a long time to have a family, you know, waiting for that Olympic bid to figure its way out. And it was time for us as a family. So I'm really, I'm grateful I had that chance and finally took the time to think about kids and family for us. But I also, um, you know, I wanted to grow something. I didn't want it to just be me. I, I felt like there was an opportunity to do more. And so, you know, over time, I was able to you know, make some relationships with clients, grow the work, you know, tended to be more transactional and, and corporate and even got into doing some venture, you know, work and, and things that I know you're very familiar with and, you know, was able to like bring on some attorneys, right? So it wasn't just me any longer. And and then maybe five years into that, had a chance to bring on a, a partner. We changed our name, um, looking to grow, right? Uh, okay. Hey, there's a place in the market for a, more of a boutique corporate transactional I'd come from, you know, the, the high-end big firm model, but that's obviously comes with, you know, expense and, and sophistication. Not, not every client needs that, certainly, right? So we felt like there was a nice sort of niche in the market there to market a, you know, a sophisticated kind of corporate boutique because, you know, I'd been at a big firm, my partner who, who joined me, some of the other attorneys that we were working with. So we had like, you know, five attorneys or so. And then, you know, one day, you know, I... I had had coffee with somebody. I was kind of itching to do something, you know, maybe bigger because I had, I had both my kids, my kids are now full-time school, a little bit older. And I felt like, oh, there's, you know, there's more I can do, right? I've, I've enjoyed this time of maybe a little less stress, a little less, you know, just craziness, right? Uh, and, and the Olympic bid was very crazy my time before that. But I just felt like I can do more. And it, it so happened, my timing was right because I happened to have, a coffee set up with somebody who who knew Drew Barris well, who also I knew well, and he sort of said, "Hey, I think uh, Drew, who's my my current partner, Drew, would be a great partner for you, and I think he may have some plans that you want to hear about, and you maybe all should get together." And lo and behold, you know, this firm that is now Croke Fairchild Morgan and Barris sort of grew out of that, right? A coffee followed by another meeting, followed by maybe two to three weeks of some dinners and some planning you know, led us to, led me to feel like, okay, I'm comfortable now that I'm ready to kind of be in a place where it's not just me or it's not just me and one partner. I'm, I'm willing to have, you know, other partners part of the, my process and I want to be part of their process. And I want to, you know, work together and think about how do you build a new law firm in Chicago that nobody knows uh, who you are? You know, maybe we all have, people know who we are, but collectively nobody knows who we are, right? We don't have the the brands, the brands you came from, the Sidley Austins, the, the the brands they've come from. And we just said, you know, let's see what this is going to look like. So we started 
and this is just back, you know, just before the pandemic, you know, in December of 2019, we launched this firm, Croke Fairchild, Morgan and Barris with, you know, eight to nine to 10, I don't remember the exact number of attorneys, you know, four named partners and said, okay, what's this going to be? Right. And, uh, you know, and so obviously we're still talking and I'm still yeah. <laughs> part, of this, part of the firm and um, no one's uh, shoved me out the door yet. And uh, we've been able to kind of grow from that initial core group in, you know, just over two and a half years from like, you know, a, a 10 person approximate, you know, law firm to j- just over 50 attorneys, you know, happy to get into that or, or not, but it's been a good experience. So I am, I'm really grateful for these guys, you know, wanting to hear my side of the story and what I wanted to achieve. And I'm grateful I had that sort of faithful coffee with Drew, who's a great person and, uh, you know, just a, just a good friend too, that we were able to, you know, kind of find common, a common, you know, ground and maybe something that was going to work well, just from, you know, a meeting. It's an amazing story. You guys have grown so fast. I guess my question there is, what is the, um, what's the vision? Where do you guys see I can see a world where you're big law, but I don't know if that's what you guys want, right? Like, I, that's my curiosity. What's the definition of that? I guess it depends on your, your what do you think the definition? I, I I don't think we're there yet. The vision's a, 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 is, is an evolving vision, which is okay. I, you know, I think that, I think we've tried to build a little bit differently. We've tried to dri- build by, you know, really sort of deep partnerships with our clients so that it's not just a transaction and I'm out, right? It's how do we become your trusted advisor? Everybody sort of uses that word, but we want to be involved in all all the things you're doing. Um, And we want to make sure it's not just one and done. We we really want you to call, you know, even if it's late at night or in the morning, if you just want to bounce something off, uh, off of us. And so I just think that's like, you know, that idea of being the advisor, not just like I'm your deal team, but I'm your advisor. I, you can call about anything has resonated well. And so I feel like, you know, the vision is to keep doing what we're doing. Right. And, you know, I can talk about some of the other things, you know, we are kind of more recently did a restructuring and we're majority women owned firm now, which oh, you know, awesome. people, people don't even know this because the word's not out yet. Maybe by the time this, uh, this makes its way to some sort of airwaves or something. We'll have announced that. But the goal, I think we really want to build something different. You know, there's a lot of focus on culture and flexibility for our team. I think that's why we were able to grow like, you know, fourfold in just uh, two and a half years. It was because we, you know, we offer a, a great platform for, you know, everybody at different stages of their career. But but it all starts with, Colin, as you know, you just have to do be able to do the work really well, right? Because if you can't do that, then you're nowhere. The clients have to believe you know the work and then you can be all these other things to them, right? So the vision, I don't know, big law, probably never, right? Probably never become that. I think we were, we used to talk about ourselves as, as a boutique law firm and it's like, it's bigger than that now. I yeah. think we can, they were a boutique anymore, right? I don't know where we crossed that line. I think so. But, you know, I've just been so impressed with you know, all the people that have come to join us, they've taken a risk to join us, right? People have left big law firms to come join us. You know, many of them, people have, you know, left in-house jobs to come and join us. People, you know, some others have, you know, maybe maybe returned to the workforce and they've joined us, right? And they've been off for some time, but there's a lot of risk in that. You know, it's a new name and they really believe that, you know, we were good leaders for the firm and that we would take it the right direction, right? That they were getting involved in something and, you know, I feel like I was telling folks that I feel like it's like kind of like got the fervor of the, like the Olympic bid that I loved. You've been in startup environments, right? Yeah. There's a lot, of, 
it's a lot of excitement, right? When you're doing things, when you're figuring stuff out, you're doing it for the first time. Yes, there's some some downsides. You know, you, you can't get everything done you want because you don't have the the resources or the time. And sometimes there's a little bit of chaos. But I feel like, you know, I, I, I've kind of found in this kind of earlier, you know, these earlier stages of this law firm, you know, its birth and its growth now that like a lot of what I felt with the Olympic bid, just in terms of, you know, really smart people, driven, hardworking, common goal, you know, a lot of excitement, but, you know, it's a lot of hard work too. So the end goal is just, I would be honest, you know, attract good people, attract good clients, you know, hopefully be relevant in the marketplace, you know, and be here to stay, you know, be here to stay so that, you know, people turn around and like, oh, hey, that Croak Fairchild firm, they're pretty good. You know, they, they're they pretty good at what they do. You should check them out. And that people are still saying that, you know, a couple of years from now and a couple of years after that, you know, it's, it's easier to break into the market if you have a brand, right? You know, we see firms in other parts of the country coming in all the time and they've got the brand, right? We were still developing that. And so I don't know what the end goal will be, but hopefully we, you know, we continue to have, you know, a really great workplace and culture for the people that do work with us. That's really, really important. And, you know, I think that'll resonate too with the clients, you know, in terms of, you know, the type of diversity we have and just, you know, that I really think we have a lot of talent as well. I've always found it amazing that people talk about brands and you say, oh, I'm going to go get like Cooley to work for me, or I'm going to get, and this is not a knock on any, any law firm and whatsoever. You hire people, you don't, the brand is the brand. And sure, maybe it's easier for you to rationalize that to a board of directors because you're saying I'm using Sidley. But the reality is the person they're using at Sidley or using at Kirkland, if they were someplace else, you're probably still using them because it's the relationship. It's not the brand that's driving you to use them. So I've always found it ironic that people like, to me, it's almost like a CYA thing. If you're say, I'm, I'm using a big brand because it's a big brand. Well, is that really the best attorney for you? Because if right. not, then that's the wrong decision. But I mean, well, I don't want to knock the other brands because, you know, all these attorneys, they're great. But, you know, I think the clients that we have are, are kind of where you are, right? They want the, they're going to have an easier time probably getting me on the phone than they might have, you know, a big firm partner you know, who's, you know, living a crazier life. And don't get me wrong, my life's not uncrazy. But, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. but, you know, like a, a little more, I think a little more personal attention, right? They get us. And I, I think you're right that, you know, but there's going to be people that need the brand and feel comfortable with the brand, what, whatever it is, you know, of the big firms. And I respect that having been there my, you know, my 10 year period and knowing, you know, all the, you know, like really the really smart attorneys that were there. And, so I don't knock anybody's choice, but I feel like we, you know, it's not just, we, we bring good value too, right? Because I don't charge a rate like my sort of level would be at a big firm. But on the other hand, it's a fair rate for the experience level. And, you know, we don't have all the overhead. So um, it sort of works out in the end. And I think our clients, if you talk to them, would, you know, would say, look, you know, we yeah, we come for the people. We come for the relationship, right? And we get, we're really happy with the level of service and the focus. And that's what we try to deliver. And you know, it's every, everybody's trying to deliver that, I, I realize. But yeah, it's a very personal decision, right? Where you're going to go. A lot of it's relationship driven. You know, people ultimately trust us to be there when they need us, right? So I, I agree. But, you know, there's a place a place for it all, right? Uh, yeah, totally the big agree. law, the medium law, the small law, you know, hopefully we'll, you know, we see growth continuing, maybe not at the pace that it's been. But, you know, we see that as a real, a real opportunity here to kind of be around and, in Chicago and maybe, you know, you know, other places in the country and just really have people, Hey, 
that's a brand we know. We know that those are quality lawyers, and that's that's the goal. Yep. No, I mean, I, I completely agree. That this this is definitely not knocking the brands, but to me, it's you hire lawyers because you trust and know them, and not necessarily just because they're affiliated with a certain. And that means there's really good lawyers at big brand names. And you say, but I'm hiring them. I'm not hiring you because you're at Kirkland or I'm not hiring you because you're at Greenberg. I'm hiring you because I know you and I know that you will do the work in the best way possible. So yeah, not knocking the brands at all. No, no, I agree. And, you know, like, you know, look, at the end of the day, I think more than anything, I think we want to look. I look at myself as an entrepreneur, right? Like if I want people to recognize what we're doing, we're building a business. And I think sometimes that gets forgotten, which I like to, you know, whenever I can remind people like we're entrepreneurs and our clients do see that in us. You know, I, I get calls from our clients who say, wow, what you've done, because they're building their own thing, right? Uh, whatever it may be. Wow. Really impressed that you've been able to, you know, make it through COVID with a growth plan. And every day I feel like you guys are hiring new people. That's really impressive, you know? And so I always feel, you know, I, I love the thank yous from the clients for the good legal work, but I always really appreciate the recognition because you've been in this, you've been, yeah. you've, you're and you're doing it now. Yeah. You know, it's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart and it's hard, you know, it can be rewarding in the end and it can be rewarding in the process. But I always say, you know, I love it when my clients say, Hey, you guys are really, looks like you're doing awesome. You know, congrats to you guys just on, you know, your business and your success in growing. And, you know, we, we launched just before the pandemic you know, we could easily fail Good. coming Good. right short that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And luckily, you know, for me standing here today talking to you, that wasn't the case. But, you know, I always like it when our clients like see kind of see what we're doing. It's very similar to them. And that's how I think of what we're doing. I see my my founders as, you know, my my business partners and just kind of growing something new and, you know, trying to make our mark on the environment, you know, the business environment and the legal environment. Yeah. I mean, I'll take crazy and chaos over boredom and structure any day of the week. It's just yeah. well, and you and I belong in the environments that we're in. I yeah. think that we should pat ourselves in the back and say, <laughs> yeah. we're in the right uh, but I, I did learn, you know, I really do feel it that way for myself now. And I, I think that's what, with all the challenges and there are challenges, you know, I don't have all the resources I once had when I was at the big firms, which were, were fantastic. I, you know, I can look back finally and be like, wow, I had everything at my fingertips. How about that? But here, you know, we don't have it all. And how do we still, you know, serve the clients well, make sure the work is top notch. And we, we try to do all that. So it's good to um, be scrappy. It's good to be scrappy. Yeah, right. Keeps you on that's your right. toes. All right. Word. So now we get to my favorite part, which is the lightning round. <laughs> so I'm going to ask these questions. Don't think about them. First thing that pops to your head, one sentence response. And off we go. Ready? Yes. All right. Favorite movie and why? I, I have a lot, and I'm just going to go with Top Gun because I'm waiting for the new Top Gun movie. So that's I'm counting. I'm counting the days. It's supposed to be amazing. The reviews are incredible. I'm excited about it too. Um, I know. Favorite book and why? Uh, don't like to read. Next question. Read a lot for work already. Not a big reader. I've read a lot of books. Don't get me wrong. I, it, genre is mysteries. I do like mysteries. If I'm going to read, it's going to be a mystery. But I don't have like a favorite and. Frankly, I, I don't like it that much. I'm a thousand percent with you. Like in this career, you read so much. It's like during your free time, how much can you possibly read? All right. Favorite person and why? Oh, I'll go with my kids today, right? I love my children. They're great. I love my husband too. I'll go with my family. Yeah, I, I have other, you know, people I look up to personally and professionally, all that, but, you know, family, family first. All right. What's your biggest pet peeve? 
people cracking their knuckles. Oh, see, thank God. <laughs> your knuckles? Are you going to do that? No, 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 no. No, but um, when I first asked this question, I was expecting exactly because mine is like people who chew with their mouth open. <laughs> ah, okay. But the first, I can't remember who it was, the first person who answered this question, it was some really deep answer. And I'm like, am I shallow? Because it's like, <laughs> because mine isn't people who chew with their mouth open. So thank God it wasn't like, well, people who don't understand the Zen of like, all right, stop. <laughs> this wasn't Sorry. supposed to be a deep and dark question. It took um, me a long time to think about it. So that's that's why, right? No, that's good. Um, my answer is on. I'm not changing it. Yeah, I love it. In 10 years, you'll be doing what? Uh, probably the same thing I'm doing, but maybe having a house overlooking some mountains somewhere where I can do it and overlook a beautiful, you know, landscape would be nice. There you go. All right. If somebody handed you $10 million tomorrow, are you done? I don't think that's enough for me to be done because uh, I've got kids. I've got expenses. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's enough. So, you have so responsibilities. No. <laughs> yeah. Add a zero to that, maybe. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, that's fair. Yeah. I'm not doing anything. I have ideas of what I would do. If you gave me my $100 million today, there are some things I would do. So it wouldn't be just do nothing. I, I would right. try to find a way to make that, try to be a helper to a lot of people if I could. No, that, that would that, be good. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. All right, last one. What's the most important personality trait you look for in people? Oh, wow. A most important personality trait, honesty, you know, being authentic, being honest. I'm honest to my fault. Everybody who knows me will tell you that. I sometimes I'm too honest. So honesty, I think if I can figure out if someone's being honest with me, you know, the trust is there. And, and I, I want to teach that to my kids. And that's how I live my life. So being I love honest. it. I love it. All right. Well, that's it. You made it through. This was fantastic. So this is a huge thank you to Jessica Fairchild, Fairchild, Croak, Morgan, Barris. I said it correctly. Thanks for coming on, Jessica. I hope this is fun. And hopefully we'll have you on again if this thing grows and grows and grows. And we'll just keep going. I know you're going to have great success. And I'm going to correct that my firm name is Croak Fairchild, because if I get out and not Fairchild Croak, because if I get off here without correcting that, I might hear it from my partners. So Croak Fairchild, Morgan and Barris, but thank you so much yeah. for having me. And I really appreciate it. I just screwed that up. Damn it. Well, right. I, did. Oh, I, I got it. We got it. But thank you, Colin. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs>